Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I'm your host, Radu Palamaryu, Managing Director of Alpha Global. Our mission is to connect, um, to connect you to the supply chain ecosystem in Asia and globally by bringing forward the most interesting leaders in the industry. And today I'm very happy to have with us Michael Byrne, who's the MD and CEO of Toll Group. Michael has a 13-year career in executive positions both in Australia and internationally in the logistics, supply chain, retail and property sectors. Previous roles include Chief, Chief Executive Officer of Coats Hire, Linfox and Westgate Holdings, as well as the Non-Executive Director of Australia Post. Toll has over 125 years of experience and operates an extensive global logistics network across 1,200 locations and more than 50 countries. With 40,000 employees, they provide a diverse range of transport and logistics solutions covering road, air, sea and rail. And on 28 May 2015, Toll formally became a division of Japan Post. Michael, pleasure to have you with us today and thanks for taking the time. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Depending on where you're listening from, it's a pleasure to be here. Super. And let's, let's start maybe with a question uh, around Japan Post. And since the purchase of Japan Post, you've gone on a, a couple of bold core new strategies uh, that, that Toll has implemented. You went from five divisions and 24 business units to now three divisions and 11 units. What do you sense has been achieved so far? I think, first of all, the time has flown. It's, it's nearly impossible for me to comprehend that I'm coming up to the end of my third year already. It's gone in a blink. Um, and no doubt if people have followed it since 2015 and then 2017, uh, tolls had to scrape difficulties. And in 17, with a change of chairman, John Mullen, change of the board, and then my appointment, we, we broke the business into really six dimensions. And we're working through those six dimensions. Uh, safety uh, being a core dimension for us because of the things we do. We cart uranium, explosives, munitions, hydrogen, nitrogen. Uh, we can't make mistakes on the things we do. Our customer service, MPS scores, we need to, do, to focus a lot on changing uh, our engagement with our customers. And that was for some of the reasons of the changes of the structure. Because uh, customers said we were far too complex. They had to deal with... 10 business units or four or five divisions and global MNCs didn't want to do that. Um, projects, we've had some massive projects which have been uh, well documented, one of them here, uh, Toll City, $265 million investment. We've had about six major projects to bring to our conclusion. Uh, HR, 45,000 people at the moment in the, the 50 countries. And as people know, we've closed six or seven countries and we've had to worry about our attrition rates and particularly in Asia, our attrition rates have been very, very high. A massive IT program uh, to upgrade our systems and they came about through the 113 acquisitions over 14 years and then financial. So if you look at the, the dimensions Four of the dimensions, and I'm on my way to Tokyo again tonight for a board meeting. Um, four of our dimensions, I'd give us a real green tick and uh, say the business has done really well. I'd give us a watch and see on some of our IT still rollouts, and we're not doing well enough on our financials. So we still need to be better uh, across the whole dimensions of the business. You can't look at business in one dimension only. Um, we have to look at it across all the things we need to do to make a an extremely successful and long-enduring business because we're already 125 years old. Mm. And, and kind of building upon the holistic view of a, of a business, which unfortunately a lot of people don't typically take and they, they focus or they zero in. And we as, as human beings typically are uh, negative uh, focused or, or kind of um, more prone to, to bring that out and, and to ask you a little bit in terms of the bigger struggles in this process, because usually change comes with struggles, um, not a process that people enjoy, and it also uh, brings um, a lot of difficulties in this process. Maybe you can share a little bit some of the challenges that you faced, how you've overcome it, and obviously you're still working on some of them. Oh, we'll be working on forever. these things forever. It's evolution. Um, that change is now constant. People talk about transformation. I just think that it's nearly a useless term now because mm. the world, business, the economy, globalisation, politics 
are changing every moment at such a rapid rate and in an unpredictable format, to think that you're going to transform to something and stop is a nonsensical, illogical argument. Mm. We must now evolve constantly to how the world is changing constantly. Um, who, who would have thought uh, that there'd be a drone tank and they could wipe out 5% of the world's fuel, probably for less than $2 million of armaments or ordnance? Yes. Unbelievable. So to think that we, we can only get to some place and then stop is not, not relevant. Um, it's been a very challenging time. Um, from a Japan Post point of view, 2007, they had to write off five, nearly $5 billion. I'm sure that was enormously painful. Um, told, although our workforce is nearly the same as it was, uh, we have let go 3,000 people uh, by closing eight countries, but in growing in others now. Um, Toll has had to look deeply into itself, into that uh, abyss of our problems. Uh, we had serious problems in our in some parts of the world on our customer service um, where customers said and voted with their feet our service levels weren't good enough, our DIFOTs weren't good enough. We had some real safety issues around the world um, which were very challenging for us. You know, like a lot of really big global companies, we had regulatory issues uh, which are all the big logistics companies the world have all had them. So it's been very challenging. It's been... Uh, very confronting for a lot of people. What what hasn't withered, though, is that there is an enormous amount of people at Toll who are unbelievably passionate about the green colour. They are passionate and deeply care and want to do the right thing by Toll. Um, a lot of people were very bitter about what happened, about writing off $5 billion and some of the other issues, but there is a deep level of passion amongst the workforce to be better. But they, they have been challenged. Um, I, I think we'll continue to be challenged. I think uh, I think we might be in for a low growth environment next year. We've uh, we, we've been having four one point five to six point four percent growth each year, organic uh, across the world, which is probably not too bad. Um, but we're seeing that really die off in some of the countries at the moment, and it's down to ones and twos. And it's a different business again when you're growing at 6% and trying to implement change than trying to implement change when you're only growing at 1%. So again, we'll have to stare into ourselves about what we need to do differently. Mm. Um, I think a lot of our people are, are also challenged as many people are, on how quickly the world is changing every day. Mm. I think that people constantly look for predictability on their external environment. Well, how do you predict Boris Johnson? How do you predict what happened in Saudi on the weekend? How do you predict uh, changes in India with Modi and what he did with changing really parts of the constitution. And I think that's a challenge for people. People like predictability, and I'm not sure as a leader you can give that to them anymore. Mm. Yeah, probably the, the only predictability is that change is the only constant, and I, 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 like you rightfully said. Wanted to, to bring the topic of discussion, um, and you've had the financial results that came out weren't great, like, like you mentioned, some challenges there. On the longer term, what do you see as your path to profitability? Are there certain uh, narratives or directions that will ensure that? What's your view on that? So, first of all, uh, 2017, we took that large write-off. Um, and that was, an, that was also real money, cash and goodwill impairments and other challenges. And um, 18, the, the trajectory started to change, quickly driven by fast-growing revenue, and we saw really strong revenue growth in Asia, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11% compounding growth rates in Asia. Probably on the basic, basic basics of some of the foundational investments put in place, and then a really big turnaround in our Chinese business, and the management here did a, a fantastic job there. 
18, 19, again, really good revenue growth around the world. In all countries bar New Zealand. Yeah. And uh, the team around the world did a fantastic job because they got every country in Asia to profitability. 20, the year that we're in now, and our first quarter results, very, very disappointing. You do have to unpeel them a little bit. There are some abnormals in there again to close out the last of our long-standing regulatory issues. Um, but in the main, they've got, not in the main, they have now all been done. So we can't use them going forward as a, an excuse for performance. Our, our level of profitability and returns going forward must be on using the capital and the infrastructure and the architecture that's been designed. Toll is a bit of a different beast. Um, it's asset, asset heavy. Uh, now, what does that mean? We have 16,000 of our own company trucks around the world. And if you're doing the military and you're doing munitions and you're doing hydrogen, nitrogen, you're carting uranium, you can't outsource that to a subcontractor. People don't let you do that. Um, then there has been enormous investments going to really big pieces of infrastructure and architecture. Toll City tops here, over 600 million. Um, Dampier supply base uh, in the Northwest Shelf. Th those assets need to be used harder. Um, this is not about keep pouring more capital into toll. We've, Japan have put nearly $2 billion into toll since I've been here. Um, and we need to come to a, a position where we use and utilise and drive the embedded capital that's already been deployed. Um, now, some of that is catch-up capital from a couple of years of underinvestment. Um, so the first level of productivity is use the, use the infrastructure and architecture that's been built. Stop building more toys. Uh, two, be much more disciplined about the countries that we've been to. Um, and we're, we're in 52 countries. So I think we're in the process of closing our eighth or ninth country. Some of those countries are absolute combat zones, Afghanistan, uh, the Congo, etc. Some other countries. My personal view is we shouldn't have been there. Uh, that's all right for me to say in hindsight. Um, we followed the UN a lot of times and, and people did a fantastic job. This is nothing I'll say here is about uh, being negative about the past and, and the management. They made their decisions in that time frame and that lens that they had in the time. But I don't think that's for us again at the moment. I think we need to focus to our the countries we can be really good at. 52 should be enough for us. Um, use the capital that we've already deployed and deep, more deeply engage with some of our customers. We have some amazing customers here. Um, a lot of Fortune 500s who, who really uh, assist us and help us and are deeply engaged with us. Uh, we need to be more focused. I think we lost our way and became very a very unfocused business. Mm. Uh, I think the other thing then I would say, what's the, the pathway to profit cons consistent and sustainable profitability? I don't think we've valued the men and women here enough over a long period of time. Uh, and that to run some of the assets we have, you need unbelievably high quality people. We run, a, we run an ambulance rescue service uh, in New South Wales. We have choppers and paramedics and doctors and people who jump out of helicopters. And we have engineers and mathematicians and PhDs and we run planes and boats and landing craft. Uh, the capability of the people here is unbelievable. I just don't think we've valued it enough. And the needs needs to be, and I know it's a contradiction to what I said before, that we've let go 3,000 people in some ways, but we need to focus more on the talent we have and, and allowing our talent to really breathe more. Uh, and that's a difficult thing to do. Mm. And I'll... I'll... I'll talk and I'll ask you about the elephant in the room because there's been a lot of, and we just need to get it out there um, for for everybody's um, yeah. you know information because there's been a lot of rumors here and there about um, toll being potentially put up for sale, not very clear on what's happening. 
And just to kind of clear the air, what's your, you know, what would be your reply to that? Well, there's lots of rumors, myths, and uh, conjecture on everything every day. Um, I'm 54, I'm not 65, so there'd be one. I'm much younger than people think, but I've been around forever. Um, There's no doubt people have, there's lots of people, my competitors, who I know after this long in the business who ring me and say, can we buy this business? Can we buy this business? And my first two and a half years, there wouldn't have been a a, a quarter go by where someone didn't ring me as an MD saying, can I buy this? Can I buy that? Is this for sale? I want to buy it. How much do you want? My answer is simple. I've had no direction, no mandate, and no instruction from Japan Post to sell anything. Uh, Every time that someone rang me, I said, nothing is for sale. Um, my job, I was given a very clear instruction from Nagato-san uh, in 2017. I see him again on Thursday and fix it and hurry uh, was his instruction to me. I think he would say I'm not hurrying enough to fix it. Uh, or change takes time, depends. Yeah, change takes there's, there's, there's two. Look, I... Japan Post have never said anything to me about selling any of the businesses. Um, they've asked me not to. Um, they're, they're, a, they're a long-term owner. Um, they've owned it since 2015. I would say that they're disappointed with one of the dimensions, the financial outcomes. As far as I know, the instructions have been to sell nothing and to fix it. Mm. Um, we have closed some countries um, because I didn't think I could fix them and I didn't want to be there. Um, there are some product lines long-term that we might not be heavily as committed to. Um, long, long-term, do I want to be in bar- big barging around the world? Probably not. There are some products like that, but I don't, I don't think that I'll keep investing in the long-term. So it's about reshaping the business constantly um, Japan Post Holdings will make their own decisions, uh, but I don't know of anything of those. I also think that uh, if you ever want to sell it, I think you've got to have it in a position to do that, and I wouldn't think we're there yet anyway. Mm-hmm. And mo- moving on the commercial side, you mentioned clients. You have 30, 37,000 customers. You have big retailers, you have the Woolworths and Coles, which are huge supermarkets in, in Australia. You also work with the Singapore government, for example, here in, in Singapore, we're recording this. Most of them, if not all of them, because we are consumers ourselves, have higher expectations today than they had yesterday. So can you tell us a little bit what's the most important demands that they have and how you're trying to address it as told? So I'd have to break that question up and... I'm not allowed to use one of the jokes that I usually have here because I'll be in trouble. Um, I'll break the customers into two groups, if I may. 210 spend $4.5 billion. So the really big end of town, BHPs, the Chevrons, the ExxonMobils, the Rios, the FMGs, the Woolworths, the Coles, the Unilevers. Although our biggest sector in the world, which people don't understand, I think, is defence. You're right. Yeah, most people would not, would not know that. Mm-hmm. So when people say you're an FMCG retailing business, I go, yes, but the biggest single category here is defence and defence-related products. Um, and, and it's amazing what the men and women do there. And then we have 36,790 customers who are $4.5 billion. Mm-hmm. The first two, the uh, first ones, the first 210, there is only one discussion that happens at MD level and it's depending on who it is, it's either three questions or four. So for a few people, the first question is only about safety, uh, mining, defence, oil and gas is always safety. And then there's three questions that go in a particular order. How can you help me convert my inventory more quickly to cash to reduce the working capital on my balance sheet that I can invest more in changing my business to be more... Uh, amenable mm. to the future needs of consumers. Mm. A, B, what IT do you have to do A? Three, do you have the intellectual cap- capability of your own people to do A? 
through B. So it is uh, the first question from the first 210 is only about nearly the balance sheet. Excellent, yeah. The other 36,790, I just want my product now and I don't want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So it's about immediacy. It's about I've seen something, I want it. I want to touch it, I want to feel it, and I don't want to pay for it. And I want it to, even if it's not true, I want it to be dressed up as free delivery. Yes. So I think the segmentation is really, really different. But really, even the first one is about giving customers something different by releasing the strength of the balance sheet. Mm. The only way you can do those things, there is only, it's only two ways, or you need two things to do all of those. You need very sophisticated IT, and then you need very sophisticated people who can use it and then cut the data. So the customers are driving a relentless game uh, to be more efficient with their balance sheets, and then the consumer is driving a relentless game for immediacy. I mean, e-commerce is pretty much has pretty much or is still teaching all of us as consumers and consumers to expect immediate. Fast, cheap, you know, I mean, it, it's, it, we live in a, almost a la-la land of immediate uh, gratification type of a behavior. I'm not allowed to use that word. I get in trouble, but I agree with you. <laughs> there you go. I said it. I, I, nobody will come after me, hopefully. Um, but it, it is true. And then that, that consumer is driving also the, the ultimate customers of Toll, which are your manufacturers and your businesses producing the goods. I want to go into the IT part because IT and tech in general and, you Digital, you know, before, digital. Before you do that, could I just uh, mm-hmm. unpeel that other question a little mm-hmm. bit? I, I find the, I find it an amazing discussion on the immediacy, self gratification uh, issue because predominantly that is coming from people who are have now disposable income. They have more and more disposable income. In a lot of cases, they don't actually have less time. Uh, you see that in Western world where people have dropped out of sport or they've dropped out of communities or they've dropped out of religion or they've dropped out of those community engagement, which took up a lot of time, but they believe they have less time. But then a lot of people, those people also who are well-educated, more disposable income, actually have more time, believe in things really strongly, like which I do as well, about the environment and about... Uh, social responsibility. So pe- people, is, as this push goes for immediacy, this push goes for self-gratification, and then they have higher levels of disposable income, better educated, more worldly, and they, we talk a lot about social responsibility and we talk a lot about uh, the environment. Would you agree with that? Yes. So then, though, we'll order something from Milan on a Thursday that we see in a catalogue that someone wants to wear on a Saturday night. And they, they order it, not realising it's come by plane and you've just been a whole lot of abgas to get it. So all the discussion about the environment is not really about the environment because the self-gratification and the immediacy overrules it, mm-hmm. which I think is a fantastic argument to have. And then I think the second thing is, which is interesting, there's no doubt, which it should be at the front of forethought, is social responsibility. Whether it's Deliveroo, whether it's Federa, whether it's Uber Eats, etc., etc., men and women in a lot of Western countries, OECD countries, uh, are earning only earning five or six dollars an hour by doing that. So if you you order a block of chocolate from a supermarket and it costs five bucks, and someone delivers it to you for five bucks, it costs ten. A person might only do three deliveries an hour if they're doing single. They're earning a couple of bucks an hour. The social responsibility drops out as well, which I think is a, a really important thing for us to think about how we design supply chains in the future, about the environment and social responsibility. That's an excellent point. And um, kind of linking it to the earlier point of do we think as, a, as the whole picture or do we think in pockets, it's kind of linked to that, isn't yeah. it? Right? Because, yeah, we want sustainability and we want to act responsibly, but we're kind of missing the point of how... Are things happening at the back end? You just, you know, in our consumer black box. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, the product is, is manufactured sustainably. I don't really think of how is it transported to me. <laughs> so um, so there's, there's missing points. And, and of course, also depending on the country, because one thing, yes, in the Western world, in Australia, in, in developing economies, there's one. Then you have economies in Southeast Asia where there's a different dynamics and there's a lot of 
I mean, it's, it's probably much less than, than, than a few bucks per hour in terms of the delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it still it boils down to the systems and the IT because yeah. IT and tech and digital can make things better through okay. algorithms, through whatever optimizations, through we, we can get more effective, we can get more productive with our deliveries. So I wanted to bring that, that topic to, to Toll and to what have you done and implemented or trying to do and, and trying to implement in Toll to have that IT and technology layer to enable you to better serve your clients? So, uh, a difficult question and um, a journey, like most things are. Um, the, f- the, first big, the first big piece of IT foundational stones, so we're doing, we're doing nine foundational stones um, which we, the very first one we started was uh, cyber security. Um, to be blunt, uh, m- might not be sexy. Um, but if, if your biggest sector is defence, and the next bit, one of your biggest sectors is uh, oil and gas and mining, and then another big sector that you have is health and uh, drugs. Um, cyber security and your penetration levels are out there important and we had to in 17 put a really big foundational layer into protection and then obviously through GDPR uh, and changes around the world on privacy um, with a lot of information in our express businesses on individuals um, a lot of effort has effort, time, blood, sweat, and tears has gone into cyber security and that foundational stone. And people, people want to talk about all the sexy things. Um, sometimes we also need to talk about foundational stones. So, um, cyber security protection penetration levels um, are really been big for us, and that finishes which will never finish, but that project finishes next month. Um, and that'll take us to a different levels around the world. Um, we then have been deep into uh, reorganising and reshaping our architecture and infrastructure. 113 acquisitions or whatever the number is, I hear lots of different numbers, uh, has made our architecture and core infrastructure very complex. So we've been unwinding that and uh, upgrading that around the world. Um, and that has had its challenges, 657 systems in toll. So uh, we've been decommissioning, recommissioning, repositioning, upgrading. Um, we've had to do what we have done, a really big health system, uh, 45,000 people in 52 countries. and. Uh, a lot of requirements on us about uh, duty of care, chain of responsibility, uh, managing our people, 16,000 vehicles, aeroplanes. So a lot of things we've been doing have been foundational building blocks um, to run the architecture, run the infrastructure and run the heavy assets that we have and protect our customers. Um, Customer facing, uh, my toll, uh, our big portal, uh, originally going to be built for 8,000 users a day. Last I heard there's 121,000 users a day on it. Um, two years ago, two years ago, basically no one in our express business could put a, an order in electronically. 400,000 people a week uh, load up electronically. Um, Still work to do there to make that the higher levels of functionality. Uh, Oracle, we're going to a one stand away working. We have 153 finance systems here. We just turned off 50. That has been a challenge since the 6th of May. It's not working exactly where we want it to be. Um, And we're in release two of that. Um, So a lot of foundational blocks. Cyber security, infrastructure architecture, Oracle, global financial transformation, a health system for our people, uh, a big wharf system uh, for our boats, um, 
TDA, uh, 14,000 handheld units for our, our men and women where we're going paperless, uh, a telephone, a camera, sign-on glass, and worksheet, and everything in the handheld. Um, but my toll is the, uh, the customer-facing portal, which has had great acceptance and commentary back that they still want more. Customers want more functionality, more functionality. They will never be satisfied. That, uh, we'll never, we'll <laughs> never, satisfied yeah. We will never be satisfied. <laughs> we, yeah, we as humans, yeah, um, yeah exactly. what, is, what is apparent is that customers, for whatever reason, and I don't necessarily understand or agree, customers want an enormous amount of data themselves for the most infinitesimally small thing that they're getting delivered. Why do you need to track a pair of shoes that's being delivered to you and it says it's going to be there between two and four or three and four? I don't know why you need to be able to track that as long as your service offer is that it will be there between three and four. Uh, that is the hard thing where people want you to track and give them real time and real estimation on a parcel that in the main, in some ways, has no significance except that the person is personally attached to the, uh, the thing. But the IT to go with that is usually more expensive than the thing. A lot more expensive, and a it's a headache to implement it. It's yeah. a headache to implement it. Um, but I think that then it goes again to what people want in their life: more control. It, it, it's actually in a in a world where people have less control. Politics, the economy, globalization—they've lost that sense of control and predictability. They've pushed that level of control into what they can control, which is a purchase. Mm, mm, possible. I wanted to go even, so these are fundamental building blocks. And look, I just to build upon that because I've, I've literally come from Manila and, um, and we attended a conference and there was a lot of buzzwords there. It was about HR, that, that conference, but when I attend supply chain conferences, there's other buzzwords. Actually, it's, it's interestingly enough, typically the buzzwords are the same. We've reached a stage, I feel, where the buzzwords are the same, uh, namely AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain. Okay, IoT, luckily in the HR field is not, <laughs> not yet there, but okay, in the industrial field is there. So there's a bunch of buzzwords that are being thrown around, but fundamentally, 99% of the companies are struggling with fundamentals. Like they still run their business on Excel. Nothing wrong with Excel, actually. For, for a lot of cases, nothing wrong with Excel. But I'm just saying that to your point and to the point of a lot of companies, the fundamentals are not there, but you're dreaming about AI or you're dreaming about why. I mean, yes, it's sexy to talk about it, but it's not practical to apply it to your business. So I, I feel and I have a strong sense that a lot of uh, organizations are struggling with that and they're not making these technologies practical enough for them and sometimes they don't need it in the first place. But the point of my question, and I kind of had a long uh, um, introduction to it, I wanted to ask you, because you are asset-based company and you have a number of assets and also to the point that a lot of people want traceability and all of that, but if you have data on, on the movements, you can also apply algorithms to it and you, you can drive value out of that. So I wanted to ask if you're planning to do something or already doing something in that, in that realm of um, extracting data, applying some machine learning on top of that, uh, maybe for the express division, in that realm, uh, if, if you have any sort of projects uh, potentially planned. So I'm smiling. But people can't see me, but I'm smiling. Um, so I couldn't agree more. I think that people want to talk about out there. Um, people want to talk about things like autonomous driving and but don't understand the five phases of it. People don't want to talk about autonomous driving but don't understand about curvature of roads and canvas and actually paint at the moment. I'm sure we'll overcome all these things. Um, we smart young people who will do that. Yeah, people want to talk about AI and uh, machine learning, etc. Magnificent. Uh, but if you don't have cyber security and you don't protect everyone's data, 
which would seem much more cool and, and look at some of the big issues that have happened in logistics in the last five years. Let's not name the biggest no, shipping lane in the world. Can't remember. <laughs> but, you, you, but that is not the only one. Um, it's not, it's not, yeah. You think about the really massive issues around the world. Think about what happened with electronic work diaries on the 1st of April 2018 in the US, where the government changed all the states over to electronic work diaries on the day and rates went up by 60% because people were breaking fatigue laws and breaking laws and too many fatalities, etc. The logistics industry doesn't do those simple things well. Cybersecurity, electronic work diaries, who chain of responsibility around the world. Look at look at things like sanctions, trading with countries or throughputs. All of us have had issues around whether it's OFAC or sanctions breaches, etc. etc. Look at all the big com- every big company in the top ten. So because we haven't been able, we say we can track everything, but we don't know how everything is moved. I think that um, the bigger supply chain logistics companies still need to focus as much or more on foundational building blocks to get things right in the future. If you have all these really smart things, they're not going to work unless the foundations are there anyway. And you can't do the really bright, sexy things unless you've done the foundations. To take that from where you took that, which I like very much, if you do the foundations right, you will be able to mine and harvest the data. You can't mine and harvest the data from 156 finance systems. You can't mine and harvest the data if you're still running, like lots of us, 30 countries, 25 countries, on different HR platforms. You can't harvest the data and look for patterns of behaviour unless a lot of your systems are integrated. Because by the time you keystroke it all in, it's too old. It must must have come through automation of integration of the systems with the minimalist approach to interface. Because every interface is going to slow it down or make it more complex and more unstable. So... Where we want to get to is to be able to mine and harvest the data. The data in itself one day will be worth more, as we know, than actual the physical execution of the activity. Because a truck is an inanimate object. It's a piece of steel or alumina or whatever it's made of, carbon fibre these days, etc., etc. In itself, it's worth nothing. Where we have to really focus as supply chain companies is about how we understand the patterns out of the data and then construct supply chains to react more in a more malleable way to the outcomes of the data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is our long-term plan, but that'll probably be something that's uh, done well after my retirement. But I'm here to build the foundation. <laughs> We haven't touched upon trade war. We are in the middle of, of one. Um, potentially, let's see, Brexit, that, that might impact if it finally does happen at the beginning of October. But there, is, there are definitely softer trade volumes right now. There's new entrants everywhere. The question that we got, in your view, on the freight market side, what's the future, if any, of air, ocean, volumes going up, down? How do you stay and navigate this ocean of uncertainty, really? So I understand the question, but don't understand why we're here today on on, on that. Like, um, I did history as a kid a long time ago. And if you look at, and I'm sure we'll all have different views and debates and, and happy for that to be encouraged. But if you look at what came out of the Second World War, uh, the Marshall Plan and then the, the outcomes of that and long-term globalisation, long-term... Uh, interaction between people and the people and the interconnectedness of all of us uh, has driven higher standards of living, lower death rates, lower mortality rates, higher birth rates, uh, survival rates, things like diphtheria, polio, measles, mumps have been nearly eradicated uh, around the world. We have higher standards of living. Look at Singapore. Look at Asia. Look 
at how things have changed. And we're thinking of going away from globalisation. It's been nearly the greatest thing that has happened to humankind to drive wealth, survivability, standard of living, equality. And we have this discussion about isolationism and we have this discussion about trade wars and we have this discussion about being isolated. Well, I don't understand. Um, but it's definitely having an impact. I, I saw some horrible numbers in our own parts of some of our business where last quarter we were down 17% on the comparable quarter last year for uh, trade between one continent and another. Uh, They're big numbers. First of all, we're already having discussions with some of our customers on moving from one country to other countries. The problem with that, it'll be electricity, water, core architecture, infrastructure around roads, ports, etc. And that isn't going to happen quickly. We're going to see, no doubt, some manufacturing move back to some Western countries. Probably means the prices go up because of labour. It won't entirely be offset by the reduction in transportation costs. But I think that makes the world much more unfair and unstable. My worry about trade war, my worry about uh, a rollback from globalisation is a lack of interconnectedness that lead to something other than a trade war. If everyone has skin in the game in every country, or in most countries, you don't hurt a country because you have skin in the game. If you bring everything back to your own country, you have no skin in every other country, so you don't care as much. I think that's a a much more uh, greater concern that the trade war becomes something else. Look at what isolationism, look at what nationalism, all the isms have done over the last 200 years. They weren't good outcomes. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely extreme pathways. Hopefully we'll, we'll not get there for now. It seems that we have, we're having, without going into the details, some an- anomalies or, or accidents or exceptions. Hopefully it's exceptions, but um, hopefully it will, be, it will be mitigated. Sometimes also we as human beings, maybe we need to, you know, you need, you need to try a new thing and then you realise, well, maybe it wasn't the right thing. <laughs> so, so. And look at, look, at our, our, look at our industry. It's built around globalisation. Look at how the, the many wonderful jobs in supply chain logistics have been built through globalisation. Look at the talent uh, that's in our global supply chains, engineers, mathematicians, analysts, lawyers, even lawyers, accountants, actuaries, auditors. Like, this is an industry that is not now about blue-collar singlets. Yes, there are a lot of those as well, blue-collar jobs, but they tend to be really well-paying jobs and very consistent. But this industry has amazing people with it, amazing intellect, but it, a lot of it's formed and its uh, exponential growth has been around globalisation. So I worry for our industry also if we become very isolationist in our thinking. That, that Does that mean that the gene pool will contract? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, only the future will tell. And, and I, I, I like that we kind of brought the topic to the, to the people side, which was my next question. Um, and I want to start with culture. Mm-hmm. Culture is that, well, to some people it's a fluffy thing, to, to others it's, it's not so fluffy, but ultimately it's an intangible. Um, it exists, but doesn't exist, um, but it's, it's I mean, you, you can't feel it, let's say you can't put the finger on it, but it's basically made up of the values of the core behaviors that you want people to, to, to display in a company. For Toll and for making sure that Toll is, is a good company for the future, what, what would you say that Toll's culture is defined by? And you as the CEO, what are some of the values that you want to drive in that culture? So we're going to have to go back and unpeel your... Big question. Uh, Culture is unbelievably important. Uh, You can touch it, feel it, smell it. It can hit you in the face the moment uh, you walk in anywhere. Uh, 
I have a, a simple test whenever I go to a, a big uh, warehouse or a big trucking operation or a big hardcore operational activity. And I think we miss simple things and say culture's got to be about this and we write it all on the board and, and most of it means nothing. And most of it doesn't translate into the hundreds of languages and, and different dialects anyway. But how often do you go to a, a hardcore operational site and it looks like a dump? Well, if it does, you don't care about the people. And even an old facility can be amazingly pristine and clean. It's just about care and attention and affection for the people. Do we get that right every day? Absolutely not. Culture is living and breathing. I know that however long I'll be here, I can spend years on culture and behaviour and then in 38 seconds make one bad decision and unwind years of my work. I can stuff it up in a blink of an eyelid. And MDs and CEOs and GLT members, ELT members around the world don't realise, I think, how quickly they can destroy years of work around behaviours and culture. People want more than a job, particularly when unemployment's three or if you're in Japan, it's 2.2%. If you're in North America, what is it, 3.3%. If you're in Australia, it's 4.8% or 5.2%. People can get a job. But getting a job typically isn't the problem. And then if you're in logistics and supply chain, usually it's 7 or 8 or 9% of the economy and it's growing. So getting a job in supply chain isn't that hard. People want to be treated with respect. They want to be treated with dignity. They want to be engaged. I spend probably a disproportionate amount, which it probably sounds bad, but just thinking about how that came out, talking to people engaging with people. People have really strong views on what the culture and behaviour should be like and we're not all going to agree. A lot of that's come up through your own nurture, not nature. Culture comes up through how you were brought up, your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, which school you went to, which language you spoke, what your background is, if you're in a religion or not, and all those bits of the fabric. Toll has a really interesting and difficult culture. Uh, which we are working really hard on. I, I think it's another probably thing I wouldn't get a tick on, but it wasn't in the six dimensions. It was in HR. Uh, we, we have probably we are, we are a business that came up with 114, whatever the number is, acquisitions. We have a lot of really strong cultures in different countries. Mm. Uh, in some countries, we had what they called a, a local hero strategy where we bought the best business in that country in that sector. Well, they were the best business in that country in that sector because they had a really strong culture. That doesn't mean that culture then fits with the other 42 or 49 countries. What we're trying to do is uh, deeply engage with our people and it's about safety. Everyone must be safe. People need to be treated with dignity, style and compassion. People will say, well, you've closed nine countries and sacked 3,000 people. You can still do that with dignity, style and compassion. Uh, we need to offer people a, a career, not a job. Uh, people want careers, although young people don't want to stay forever. This is a real work in progress. We had, uh, we had our 153 most senior leaders in the world together two weeks ago uh, in Australia. The year before, we had them in Vietnam for the first time. We took 153 senior people in the world uh, outside of Australia. Talking about culture and behaviour, we are just about to relaunch uh, after interviewing 4,500 employees at random uh, what they said our culture should be. And then we interviewed a lot of our customers who said it as well, what they wanted, and we'll come down to... Uh, the five key themes and, and see how that goes. We, we want to have one culture for the toll. Um, this is a really tough bit of work here. Um, probably the hardest thing to do. And I know as the, the leader, one of the leaders here, that if I do something wrong, I can blow it all up in 38 seconds. Mm. I mean, but, and, and, and putting the finger on it, especially when you've had so many different organizations that came together through acquisitions 
it's so difficult because they have each subculture and and even this process of refinement and kind of getting everybody to be aligned on the same on the same fundamentals is is super hard and then getting them to act on it because yeah one thing is alignment fine the harder part is do you act on it every day and display to the staff and the troops and then for them to to reinforce it. And then does it, which I think was where a lot of us fail, and no doubt over my 30 years at work I've failed, a lot of times the culture, so the GLT and the board will think they've done a really good job, they've, they have their own culture, and then yes, it's permeated to the TLT, our leadership team, next 153 people, and that might permeate to the GMs, the next 300 people around the world, they've done a fantastic job. So the board, the GLT, the TLT and the GMs, they're all on board. There are 500 people out of 45,000. Who really cares? It's, does it permeate into the business and it become ingrained to the point where it doesn't matter if the GLT are there? Yeah, because they it's won't about, be. It's about the DNA. It's, it's about, about the DNA. DNA. And what do you see? So I'm building it on the culture and building it so, of course, the culture is ultimately is not about them, but it's driven by CEOs, by by the board, and also this is forever changing, right? So the industries are changing, our world is changing, and also the C level people like yourself in your position need to constantly change. What, in your view, are some of the key success mindsets, behaviors that the CEO should have to maintain relevance of himself, herself, as well as the company for the future for the next five to ten years in this kind of constantly changing world? So there's been no easy questions that I have there. I'm not here to ask. <laughs> my last one. My last one. <laughs> oh, well, you can have more, but uh, <laughs> this, this is yeah. Before uh, the last. <laughs> I think um, so. Th- I've just started my 18th year, I think, as a CEO indeed. And um, I think as you get older, you do exactly the opposite to what you should do. Uh, you don't take enough risks with people. I think that um, you get trained and we all do our MBAs and I did my Masters of Science and you go to all these top schools and they train you a certain way. You get trained a certain way. And the the longer you stay in those jobs, the more you get trained, the more you get looked after and the more you get insular or isolated from the real world nearly because you get looked after so well. And that just makes you not take enough risks with people. I think that... um, there are this seven and a half, pick a number, seven and a half billion people in the world. I'm sure there's lots of fantastically smart 20-year-olds out there who are wonderful. But why, why are the top end of businesses all 40 and 50-year-old people, 60-year-old people? Very confrontational. I said this the other week. Why is it that out of our 153, we only have six people in their 20s? Are we saying that out of seven and a half billion people, there was only six people who could be in their 20s? And if the world's changing so much, why don't we have and recruit really different people? Because if we're saying the future is going to be so different to the past, why is the past such a, a predeterminate for selection of person to run the business for the future? It's illogical. So I think in regard to what, what MDs and CEOs need to do is somewhat unblock their training because the world's not as predictable as it was. Uh, I think that we need to employ and engage people through different avenues to recruitment. Um, people want different things. Um, I think we need more younger people in our business. A lot of people think our industry is about blue-collar work, but we have everything from PhD mathematicians to doctors pilots, helicopter pilots, ships captains, uh, experts in engineering, explosives. But we have this set mindset uh, on who's going to be in these roles. I think it's wrong. I think we need to employ really different people into our businesses for the future. I think it's a really interesting time, but that is a challenge. We, We tend to like to recruit people in our own likeness. I think that's somewhat over overplayed. I think we nearly would move past a lot of that, but we still employ people from somewhat from the same age profile. We, we, we want to see a continuum of, in their resume instead of saying, no, this person is a superstar, they're only 28, they've got to jump four levels. 
and really drive more change. Um, and I think we have to do that as MDs and CEOs, but that's a really big challenge. Mm. And, and that, as one MD out of 20 of the top senior MDs of logistics companies, it's no good if only I do it, the other 19 have to do it as well. Well, sometimes I, I would argue, sometimes it's, it, it does put you in a competitive advantage if, you, if you're the only one doing it, because then you attract interesting talent and say, oh, these, these guys are different, right? Or this company is different. But I, I'll just build upon your, your points. Um, one, personally, I could not agree more with the fact that logistics supply chain in general needs to do a much better job at storytelling. Uh, yeah. At sharing with the world, look, what what do we do is not just you know moving boxes here and there. Actually, we enable trade. We get you the bananas from this part of the world to, to your table. We, you know, like like you said, told us a lot of uh, defense. So that's basically you know, you de- you defend countries. You healthcare solutions. There's not enough storytelling for people to understand the the importance of this sector. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that, that that we should do more, and the industry should do more. And I, I really much, very much like your point. And obviously, uh, one of our main businesses is headhunting and executive search. And I'm also seeing the trends of executives being more and more open-minded about we cannot do business the same way. Hence, we cannot employ the same people from our competitors all the time, right? I mean, I'm not saying that you go totally revolutionary and change and, and put all different um, non-industry focus. That's that's not what I'm saying. But we've had a case of a CIO. Or a supply chain organization, then they hired somebody from a gaming industry as a CIO because the mindset was, was different. So as long as you reinforce that, I think the perspective can be quite a lot different for the business and help the business in the run and be more competitive. So I think I think you're 100 percent right. The, the industry sector has does a really really bad job. So some of it's my fault as well. A really bad job on the narrative of who we are and what we do. Right. Um, our narrative that's coming out soon is we do things that make a difference. If you are flying a helicopter 200 miles out to sea to rescue someone and you're going to jump into the water, there's nothing more you could do to make a difference. You're saving someone's life. If you are, if you are running for a couple of countries' uh, pandemic response, that's going to make a real difference. If you if you think the only thing we're delivering is Kellogg's cornflakes, who cares? But if you are doing something that is there's a cyclone and then you're helping with a government to bring aid and saving people's life, that is what real supply chain and logistics companies do, and lots of us do it. It's not just us; all of the top ten would do it, but we don't share that narrative. And I think we've done a really bad job there and we need to do so such a better job. I think the second part to your question or commentary there is that um, you need to recruit people, I think, firstly, where we need to move to, and this is why we're doing this so much work, a year's worth of work's gone into it. Once you get to a certain level and you've gone to a certain school or university, you're smart. You might be you not have any common sense, but you're smart. You've been trained a certain way. You you can add up, you can write. Most people get to a certain level. They dress well, they speak well, they're articulate, they're numerate, they're worldly. A lot of people in logistics are very worldly because of globalisation. But do they have the right values and behaviours to run organisations with tens of thousands of people in them? Are you only going to think about, I want to make money? Well, I can do that too. You can change the balance sheet. You can change depreciation rates. You can do financial engineering. There's lots of people who can do that. But we need to pick people in our industry going forward who, as much as being smart and well-educated, have a real sense, particularly in where there are countries that don't have the frameworks of some of the Western countries yet as they develop and grow up and and they're amazing, the frameworks for values and behaviours that they treat people and customers, the environment, and their social responsibility really seriously. So I'm looking forward to how we recruit very differently going forward. Mm, About the fundamentals again. Michael, thank you very much for the sharing. It's been a very insightful podcast. Uh, Good luck with all the good work at all, and and hopefully we, we meet again when we share again in the near future. Hopefully, again, and thank you very much for your time. I hope it was interesting. 
Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to go to www.elcodglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also, subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest updates first. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what, what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note and if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business of course contact us as well to find out how we can help